Jenny girl, what you doing over there, sweetheart? She's so cute. She's doing that little paw thing. The little, the little, the little, the little I don't kneading or something they call it. Cats do that kneading thing. Like, yeah, it's yeah. so cute. Uh, um, I have yeah, a theory our that. Our kitty cat, well, our kitty cat, Jenny, we've talked about. You're going to be hearing about. She's fitting in very well. Yeah, you're going to be hearing about her incessantly forever because Jenny pretty much fucking rules this house now. Sorry if you're a dog person. Yeah. She, uh, she owns our house, but. Um, yeah, she's just the most adorable thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I fell, I'm in love with her. It's insane. Well, and I'm convinced that cats could not learn English well, even if they wanted to, because I yeah. talked to the cat like, do you want some food? Oh, you want some food? Oh, you're so cute. Oh, the baby's so cute. So they would learn English that way and be like, I want some food. I was so cute. You know, like that. So they so, talk like, they talk like, like sloth from I, the Goonies. Is that, did I sound like baby sloth? Baby Ruth. Oh, <laughs> baby Ruth. Oh, no. <laughs> fancy oh. feast. <laughs> fancy feast. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that's how, but uh, yeah, that's our she's baby. super cute and fitting in. And she just walks around here while we do the show. I think it's just, and she goes up and down the stairs. Slowly. Slowly. She's old. She's, I think she's losing weight though. She, she might be because she's a chunker. No, she's losing. She's, I can tell she's already losing weight, like in her in really? her belly area a little bit. I think it's because she's up and down those stairs That's every a stair day. Stairmaster. And, and we're and we're kind of we're kind of keeping her diet good. I we're was, gonna have to write a cat fitness book after this. Yeah, well, yeah, that's we're gonna be experts yeah. on cat fitness, senior elderly cat fitness. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's we found our niche. <laughs> yes. We'll do a podcast for cat. No, no, we're gonna have a TV show. Fitness. We'll, the elderly cat whispers. <laughs> Whatever the hell. What a stupid show. It'd probably be a success. <laughs> Whatever that guy does. TLC will love it. You're talking about the, 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 the dog, dog I am the dog whisperer. I forget his name. <laughs> I, I just, I can only think of his South Park appearance. <laughs> it's the funniest thing ever. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Jenny's pretty awesome. Yeah, We're really happy she's, she's here. Cute. And I don't want anything. She needs to. Be here forever. Okay. She's the greatest. Don't set yourself ever. up. I'm fucking. I'm just. Yeah. I'm killing myself yeah, right don't now. Don't do that. This is. This is the worst. Okay. Well. She's so damn cute. Oh my god. So anyway. I love her. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Tonight. Yeah. We had Tanya and Joey Medea on the show. Yeah. And um. Man, this, what a great time. This was had. fun because yeah. these are fellow paranormal investigators. And they got a chance to investigate a place for a solid two years. It's a library. So jelly. I'm so jelly. Are you jelly? I'm jelly. It's a library, which, of course, anyone that knows me knows that that is near and dear to my heart because I'm a library worker. I'm a library laborer. Oh, my God. I didn't, so, that's not what I sound like. Oh, my God. That's not what I sound like. Oh, go ahead. That's wrong. All right. I'm sorry. That's wrong. Go. But anyway, these two, they've had a long background in paranormal investigation. They've lived in like a billion and one haunted houses yeah man it seems like wherever they go there's a ghost there's something strange there's ufos there's men in black there's fairies there's people like that there there are totally. i think there's people that either this stuff we're not like that. either they're boring around e here well either they attract it or they somehow just find it and wherever they go i i don't know i don't know if that's how it works or not but um these guys got the chance they moved down to north carolina and they got the opportunity to start doing these tours in this historical little haunted library, mm -hmm. and that's where the show starts.
message from Steve Ward one day, and he was the the Steve Ward. the Steve. We don't Ward. refer to him as Steve Ward. We the refer to him as Sir as, Steve Ward. Sir Steve Ward. Uh, yeah. I reached it. That's the only way I can say uh, his name. Yeah. Okay. Steve Ward. So anyway, uh, and he goes, He's um, the man. I have a guest for you, and uh, I'm not pushing them on you or anything. I mean, and, and not just because I wrote the forward to their book. I mean, really, it's. <laughs> It's because they're they're really great and good, and I want to suggest them for your show. Yeah. So he sent us the email of Tanya and Joey Medea, who wrote a book called Watch Out for the Hallway, our two-year investigation of the most haunted library in North yeah. Carolina. And, and this was... Well, and I do want to say I have a soft spot for libraries because I am a library worker. So, oh, awesome. Yeah. So I was like extra geeked about this. It's a library laborer. Yeah. And it's she been, works in the mean streets of the library. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and also it was put out by Visionary Living, which is Rosemary Ellen Guiley's publishing company. Yes. So we always right. have to give a shout out to that. But what what is awesome about this book and what you guys did was you did something every paranormal investigator wants to do, and that's have a place that you can investigate over and over and yeah. over yeah. for an extended period of time which would make we're very jealous of that yeah a little bit and Ugh. one of the things i said you know we've been saying for years on this show even in the old days and now it's one thing that's kind of frustrating about being you know doing a podcast of this sort is that we just every week we talk about different stuff or talk to different people and we rarely if if ever have gotten a chance to really spend some solid time in one location such as yourselves um, to study uh, a location and the possible phenomenon that inhabits that. Um, so we really want to hear all, I mean, this is obviously two years. We're not gonna be able to fit that all into one show, <laughs> but right. that's something we, I know have we have to do installments. Well, the, <laughs> to do a million, yeah, part 37. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> How, I mean, I guess that's the one thing we want to we want to talk about here is the is the fact that you guys were able to do this for two years in one location. Um, how'd you guys get up go about doing that? Right. So in North Carolina, uh, we were living on the south southern outer banks, which is called the Crystal Coast. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want tourists to come, or the graveyard of the Atlantic, if yeah. you don't. So <laughs> it's a very cool place. And I got a I got an offer to become the creative director for a historical education and tour company. Okay. Uh, which I <clears throat> heartily agreed to. And uh, <laughs> pirates are huge down there. Uh, we were doing all this different programming. But one night I went in and hanging on the wall was this poster advertising this uh, this haunted web memorial tour. And I asked about it. Okay. And it had actually been mothballed because the place is incredibly active All right. and um, the people who were kind of running it, uh, the tour guides, as they called them at the time, were not trained in paranormal research and had gotten freaked out a bunch of times. Uh, one time they left at 1.30 in the morning and left the door wide open and called the tour company owner to come lock up. Um, so it had kind of been mothballed and I said, well, as it turns out, um, Tanya and I are paranormal investigators and Tanya is a psychic medium. and We'd love to, you know, maybe look into doing this. So uh, 150 hours, 75 nights, two years later, over 500 guest investigators. Uh, we really kind of stepped. You're absolutely right. It was it was a dream come true. So, I mean, one of the things I guess the idea of 
I mean, what would be most attractive for me uh, uh, to have this kind of access and this kind of time is it seems like just proportionally you you're bound to come across something. I mean, I, I don't I don't want to quantize it like that. Like, well, you know, you spend so much time somewhere. You got to see a ghost sooner or later. Yeah, right. That, that, that's um, but, you know, statistically, you know, it seems like if you spend a lot of time in one area, you're going to sooner or later at least come across something that we would consider anomalous. Uh, is there something that you could elaborate on that you guys may have bumped into within those two years? Well, I would say I I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, the web though was so active, like pretty much almost every time that we were there. So the, the nights that nothing happened were more like the exception rather than the rule. Um, really? Yeah, it was, it was great. It was, um, what was really cool about it is that we had the opportunity not only to document things that were happening, but we could look at patterns um, and sort of get a, a pretty good idea of the stories behind the personalities who were presenting themselves to us at okay. the web. Um, you, you, as far as you're talking about historical type stuff, I mean, people that used to, I mean, you're talking about personalities with, that may have inhabited this place, correct? personalities that did inhabit it we were able to document some of that yeah um we'll talk a little bit about that but also personalities that were sort of transient and came in and out but we were able to um between myself and other psychic mediums who were with us uh the psb 11 and various other ways just sort of find out who these people were you said you said you, let's let's call them spirits for for conversation's sake you said spirits that drifted in and out of the location or the area yes one thing about the web is that the um building itself seemed to be i, I like to call it grand central station for ghosts <laughs> okay uh, we thought there was uh well we feel strongly that we identified a portal on the second floor and that portal was the entry point and exit point, I feel, for uh, these transient spirits who would come in and out of the web. Oh, okay. Uh, when when I was reading your book and you mentioned finding the portal on the second floor, there was a segment or there was a sentence where you had said that it was bad feng shui to have two mirrors facing each other because it creates this like kind of never-ending loop. And then I yes. sat back and went, crap, our bathroom has that. So I think, you know, Scott, we could have that. We could, If we have any issues in the bathroom... I blame the mirrors. I haven't had any. Besides, we, we haven't had any problems here. <laughs> I, just, I was like, even oh, though it's kind of creepy, if you're in there, if, if you turn that mirror, they're just the right way. You get like a side profile of yourself, and it just terrifies me, at least for myself, every time. So I don't know if that's anything obviously spiritual or or anomalous, but it's pretty disturbing nonetheless. <laughs> well, with I love how historical places. The, the whole hauntings thing and history. So when you guys sat down and started doing the research on this library, what did you find that you felt lended itself to all the usual, you know, haunted things going on there? Right. Great question. So there are several things. It's sort of a perfect storm. So you, so you already mentioned the, the two, they're actually windows, but they, to us, they're anomalous to mirrors. So, so you have two wings on the second floor. Second floor has a much different personality than the first floor. But um, some of the things are, there was a hospital right across the way. 
during World War II at a time when a lot of U-boats, believe it or not, uh, 356, I believe, U.S. ships and other ships were sunk by U-boats right off the coast of North Carolina. It was terrifying, and a lot of them were oil-carrying ships from the big uh, deepwater port that's there. So a lot of burn victims. And so you had a library, uh, uh, you had a, a hospital that was very active, but the library was also at times used for a triage when they brought in a lot of these young servicemen who had terrible, terrible burns. Yeah. Uh, you had two doctor's offices on the first floor in its first incarnation before it was a library when it was when it was opened in 1929 there were um doctor's offices on the first floor so we did encounter some residual hauntings that had to do with deep grief the kind of things you might find in a doctor's office but it's right on the water um in that area there are several documented ufo sightings we um, encountered some interdimensional beings as well as spectral MIB. Um, there's a radio tower right across the way. So um, it's filled with old books. You know, you work at a library, yeah. so you know, there's always books, um, often antique furniture. If they bring in any kind of antique uh, presentation that they cycle through over time, you have all these um, things. And so that's why we think that it's so incredibly active, all of those different factors combined. So how did the library become open to this? Because like I said, me being in a library, working in a library my whole life, sometimes they can be really reserved, not into that aspect of their history or, you know, kind of quiet about stuff going on. How did they open their doors to this actually becoming a reality? That's actually a great question. I think uh, because it actually, the library was donated to the community in 19, was it 34? Mm -hmm. 1934, Earl Webb Sr., who was uh, very philanthropic for the community, donated the building as a library and civic center. And up until, well, even now, uh, is run by a private trust. Um, so it's not part of the public library system. Oh. oh, okay. So that to me is why now actually the trust is either running out of funds or has run out of funds. And they are trying to decide whether or not they will form a nonprofit that will keep the library functioning or whether that library will be absorbed into the public library system. So my feeling is if it gets absorbed into the public library system, they're probably not going to allow people in there after hours doing this sort of um, investigation any longer. And there were plenty of staff who, who didn't support it didn't want to talk about it, weren't crazy about us being there. So so there was some of that as well. That's that's what I'm sorry, Scott, but that's what I wondered how the staff received the the whole thing. And and did any of the staff actually come to you guys and say, hey, this has happened to me, and maybe even during just regular operating hours? Yes. Yes. And it was staff who tended to be part time or who were no longer employed there. OK, um, but w but we did get a lot of corroboration from staff, which was which was really important to us to get as many data points for things as possible. And that was a very helpful one. Um, yeah. What was the common thing that the staff typically felt? Everything from having uh, one common thing that not only the staff and a lot of people who, who came on investigations with us was that they would feel, particularly women, uh, someone touching them 
particularly in the area of their legs. Hmm. Um, there, do you want to tell about Alicia when she was um, upstairs by herself? Oh, yeah. So, so a book fell off the shelf, and she kind of felt the hem of her dress lifted. Um, we got we got everything from, so there was sort of a history before we went in, um, some TV shows and some web um, web channels, some web series had gone in and some done some things. They had captured some shadows and anomalies. Um, one day before they were going to tape with a group, they went in and a clock was smashed on the floor. And someone we talked to felt really strongly that the spirits, the ghosts were upset um, that people were coming in to investigate. So it was really a lot of corroboration. And because if it's a working library, we also got a lot of information from patrons and experiences their children had. Oh, yeah. So that was helpful, too. Well, and I think in the book I had read, there's something about how active the children's room was. Yes. Yes. Tell us about that, if you could, please. Sure. So the children's room, you know, as you can imagine, where the children's books are, yes. they have toys and things for children yeah. um so oftentimes we would take there was a couple of dolls in particular that the children ghost in that room um seemed to favor so we would take this one doll in particular um lie her on the floor and come back and on a couple of occasions she had been just just ever so slightly moved Things like strands of her hair, the ribbon on her dress. So it wasn't like the whole doll had been moved, but elements of the doll had been moved. So we would take a picture before, then we would leave, go investigate the rest of the library, and then about an hour later come back, take another picture, and compare. We watched, um, we watched Mobile spin around from the ceiling, uh, a little rocking. Uh, so he was a little uh, wooden bear on a sort of like a rocking chair sort of uh, curve thing, started moving back and forth. Other things move every once in a while, a checker or, or a chess piece. But, but you had to really watch because I, I think like on the TV shows and certainly on movies and all, you see a lot of movement with an object. Oh, yeah. And it was always very subtle. So if you weren't having a bunch of people take pictures that you could then compare, I mean, we're talking... Uh, half an inch, a quarter of an inch, like Tanya said, a couple of strands of of yarn hair on a doll moving. Yeah. Um, but we but we still did still did witness those things, and then had communications with with numerous uh, child spirits, child ghosts in that room. One of my favorite experiences. One evening, we had a gentleman with us, and he was sitting in one of the little tiny chairs that they have for children. And uh, there was a, a spirit girl that I would frequently see in there. And I saw her approach the man, and she kept indicating toward his pocket. So I asked him, I said, uh, well, first he actually he said to me, is there someone standing by me? Because I just kind of feel like a little, you know, like someone standing there. And I said, yeah, actually, the little spirit girl standing there, she's indicating to your pocket. Do you have something in your pocket? At which point he stood up and said, oh, my God, I have candy in my pocket. Mm. And he was really freaked out by that. He left it on the table for her. Um, but, yeah, it kind of freaked him out. Another occasion, we were investigating the room. And there's a sofa in there that isn't up against a wall. Um, and I would frequently notice, like, movement just kind of, like, out of the corner of my eye. And at, at one point, I was looking 
at the sofa and I forget you had asked something a voice was coming through the PSB 11 I think and uh, so anyway a, a guy popped up a youngish say teenager um, kid popped up from behind the the couch and when I said oh there's somebody right there he said oh shoot (laughs) (laughs) he didn't want to be seen (laughs) you know I want to go back to this idea uh, that you guys were talking about you know about things being moved Um, it's something that yeah it was exactly what I was thinking what you guys were thinking I'm like oh boy you know in the movies you know when something is portrayed as moving being moved by a spirit yeah it moves like 20 feet and goes flying through the air and does a dance for you and then and then falls to the floor right uh it's obviously not like that in real life Uh, we've been saying that for years here in fact it's a friend of mine was shooting a video he was uh doing some work in in a haunted this haunted location this supposed haunted location years ago and the owner said that this uh, this was in a child's room also there was one of them little wooden you know one of them old wooden cars with you know the wooden wheels on it it could roll just an old wooden car toy and he set up a camera there and ran the camera for 12 hours straight the camera never moved you know it it was set on a tripod on a solid space and he just set that in the room and you know if you were to sit there and man i don't know who would have the kind of patience for this but if you were there just to, just to sit there and watch that 12-hour video at regular speed, I mean, first of all, you'd probably die in the process. It would, you'd die of boredom. <laughs> but you would not notice what happened until you speed up the film. Right. right. He sped up the film for me to you know more or less a ratio we could, where we could watch the whole thing like in a half an hour. And you could clear – well, even shorter than that. He actually pulled it back so it was very fast. But – when you when you dial it back that way so you speed the film up you could clearly see this little this little wooden car moving ever so slightly now okay in fairness you don't know what that could be that could be gravity that could be something also i want to be fair about that but i found it very peculiar and what it gets me into thinking about is this idea like we said about what's portrayed obviously in the tv shows in hollywood we can push that to the side for a second and say if I was a spirit, let's just put ourselves in those shoes for a second. This will be fun. Uh, if I was a spirit and I want to make communication, it seems to me like the way they're doing it now, especially with what you guys have experienced, right? This requires a, mon- a gargantuan amount of energy just to move something ever so slightly from one dimension, let's say, to the other, right? Yep, um, exactly. I find that idea fascinating, it's, and we've talked about that before, and it, it sounds like this is what you guys were experiencing here. It was just these these subtleties, right? Absolutely, yes, because it does – it takes a ton. And so communications were always limited. You know, we, we had massive amounts of success with the SB11 in that building and have had not great success with that anyplace else. And we've, we've done three separate investigations in the past – two weeks and and have have gotten one single word evp um but for some reason the web was very conducive to to great communications from the psb 11 Mm -hmm. but again they were limited and and tanya being able to see spirits and ghosts and several of our guest investigators being able to do that um they're not 
they're not there for a very long time because to to gather and manipulate that that um, that energy and to focus it, which is what all the equipment is picking up on, right? The yeah. temperature gauges, the EMF meters, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's not, it's a tremendous amount. So, so it makes perfect sense that you're getting very limited activity at a time. Yeah, even with EVPs, I mean, a lot of what we refer to as EVP, uh, you just said it also, like just these one word, or if you're really lucky, you might get a couple of words out of something. Yep. It's a very concentrated thing, like you said. Uh, I think it's a burst of energy. It really is. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, to think about that, I mean, <laughs> To think that maybe maybe some you know spirit soul whatever you want to call it is out there. It may have spent three of our Earth years building up that energy just to say hello. God, that would suck. That would suck. Yeah, that it would really would. suck. And that's just that's all ridiculously re theoretical on my part. Um, but it's something that I you know it seems like because to me it seems like I, I am certainly convinced to a certain degree from things that I've seen and heard and experienced that something may be trying to make contact with us, mm -hmm. but it's, you think if they were that enthusiastic to do it, they would be able to say a lot more or communicate a lot more in other ways. And we don't see that, that we don't really see that. I, it's just these short bursts that we're talking about. Yep. I wonder if the radio tower across the street had anything to do with your success using the spirit box. You know, I've often thought about that myself because like Joey mentioned, we, we take the spirit box on all of our investigations and the web is really the only place that we had that kind of success with it. So I have to think that possibly, um, but it could be too that it was just the combination, like Joey said, the perfect storm of factors. We were a block away from a large body of water. Um, the whole area itself, actually the library is in an area of Moorhead City um, that's called the Promised Land, and that whole area is actually haunted. So it just feels like all of those uh, factors together sort of supercharge the building. So when you open your, when they opened the, well, when you guys started the ghost tours and took over, uh, I think ghost tours can be kind of like hit or miss. Like you get a good group one night, and then the next time you do it, it's a complete like, you know, crapshoot. Like, oh god. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you guys I think had you got all of them. Crapshoot, shit show. Well, shit show. Shit, I was just, okay. <laughs> I was okay, trying cool. to be. Um, luckily, I'm trying to be polite. Luckily, in 75, um, 75 trips there, public investigations, we only had maybe four or five shit shows. Oh wow, um, that's, actually, that's good. It really, really wasn't good. bad, but but we have aggregated some data. So, so originally, I believe it was tw 25 or 20 was the limit. 20. 20 was the original. So, limit. when you had 20 people in there, very little happened. Right. The ideal number, oddly enough, was about eight. Um, and so that was part of it. And in our book, Towards the Back, I, I sort of, I never liked the word, and, and I'm reading, going all the way back to Conan Doyle because. Um, uh, Steve and I are actually writing a book together where we're looking at the sum total of all um, all the anomalies and trying to get some new paradigms together with what we know about quantum physics, neuroscience, parallel universes, all these things that have become much more definitive in the 21st century yeah. and really kind of look at what's going on. But um, so I don't I think we need to be skeptics. And Scott, you absolutely sound like a skeptic cut right from my cloth and, <laughs> and um, 
And that's what we need to be. But if we went on an investigation, there were two kinds of people that turned it kind of into a shit show. One <laughs> of them was cynics. Yeah. The cynics could see things flying off the wall, could hear things coming out of the PBS 11, which were definitely direct responses to questions that we were asking. Um, and they just they didn't believe anything. And they would they would sneak off and punk us and move things around rooms and do things that a spirit or a ghost could never do. Well, that sounds uh, like that's that's just malicious to me. That sounds like that. That's that's beyond uh, cynicism, in my opinion. It, it yeah, is, it and 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 um and and that makes it really really difficult. And then people go out and they write blogs and they go, oh, they're frauds, and they very skillfully manipulated our minds and all the different things that you hear about um in 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 cynical literature, what or what a lot of people traditionally call um, skeptical literature, the debunkers and all of that. But the other thing that that is incredibly frustrating as investigators, believe it or not, are the people that everything <laughs> oh I've been touched yeah. oh something moved oh something charged me oh there's a ghoul in this yeah you know this picture that i have um people who are dust orb obsessed oh god we spend a lot of time looking at pictures that are dust they're dust and there's no change of trajectory there's no movement i mean we've seen orbs that have shot directly vertical at a high rate of speed from out of the frame, up through the frame, and out of the top of the frame. Um, that's a that's an orb. Um, but these but these other things. So so those were really um, those were the things that we found were were high numbers of people. Of course, too, it was a public it was a public tour on uh, a party area of the country. So we did get some drunks on tour, and that really sucked. Yeah, oh, did, yeah, did, that, I, did that I read that? Did I read yeah. that you had a drunken bachelorette? Like group, yeah, what? Yes. They were getting sick in the bathroom, and oh. they were very belligerent in a lot of ways. And we had four very talented—I don't know if they were psychic mediums, but they were certainly sensitives that night. And uh, we stayed after the bachelorette party left, and that—that's when the um, the 1974 uh, Eisenhower coin apported into the room, and they crossed over a burn victim. Um, so it was a really weird night, but those, those women were really difficult and, and we're, you know, we're, we're dealing with former human beings. So mm. we try to be as respectful as possible and imagine a drunken uh, bachelorette party is not going to be respectful to anybody. No. no. Um, I never have heard that scenario. Uh, uh drunken a, bachelorette party at, and, at, a, at and a, a historical tour. ghost hunt. Yeah. yeah. It's the first yeah. time I've ever heard those two ideas smashed together in a sentence uh and i never thought i would <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't always ideal but i said we had been we had been paranormal investigators for about seven years prior and had been trained by rose mary had spent a lot of time with steve you know those guys a lot of integrity oh, yeah. a lot of talent Amazing people yeah um but our very first investigation was a surprise birthday party for a volunteer fireman um, that his wife had set up. And so they all showed up drunk. They didn't know what they were coming to. And that was a crazy night. There were 23 of them. Oh my! And God. that was a nutty night. Yeah, they were they were all firemen, weren't they? Well, and but, but they the had wife. their girlfriends and their wives right. and all. Yeah, so they, they, know? Probably, they were probably nine or ten volunteer yeah. firemen drunk out of their minds. Do well, they know not what all of them were drunk out of their minds. Certainly the bo- birthday boy was. Many okay. of them were, but a lot of them, the ones... Most of them weren't happy <laughs> to be there, and their yeah. faces 
kind of gave it all away when uh, the wife brought him there and she's like, surprise, here we are, we're going in this haunted library. And just the expression on their faces was, yeah, it was a good uh, yeah. Baptism by fire, our first, mm-hmm. our first investigation there. So it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like this wasn't a, a collaborative effort or collaborative booking to come do this. It sounds like one person spearheaded the operation, well, yeah, she and out of politeness, it. the rest of them just went along with it. Not, yes, not exactly. You know, and not that I, you know, I think it'd be a. It, this would be a really interesting thing to go on. But I think for something like that, these guys just want to go to the park, get shit-faced, watch the football yeah. game, and pass out. Well, she was treating right. it like a carnival funhouse or something. Like, hey, you know, this will be a cool thing to do. Like, No, it's not. Well, like, it's well, not it's, a carnival funhouse. Well, I mean, and I dare I say it, I mean, I hate to well, kick kicking the horse in the head, but, uh, you know, it's just somebody, I, I hate to, I mean, if I'm wrong, somebody call me out, but... And somebody who's just seen too many TV shows or movies or whatever it well, might be. Well, yeah, you know and, I mean? and that's the average person. If they see Ghost Hunt and they can participate, oh, my God, that's going to be fun and intense. And then they get there and they're like, oh, it's not like what we thought. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I, that, I, was cer- that was certainly part of it for her. She she thought it would be great for her husband because he was very sensitive. But the problem oh. that I really had with it is, first of all, nobody should be doing this kind of work under the influence of anything because you're opening yourself up. Um, psychically your, your energetic field drops when you're under the influence of alcohol or other substances. So that's first of all. But secondly, this guy was, he had been severely traumatized as a child, which in my opinion, a lot of people that I know who have some kind of childhood trauma, it makes them more sensitive. Um, so he was already very open and sensitive to it. And he really, uh, was bombarded psychically in the in the web and afterward um, I took him aside and said listen I know you didn't know anything about this beforehand but you really can't go to these types of locations especially you after you've been drinking or yeah. you know yeah he 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 claimed some lower paralysis and was crying and it was it, it it was heavy and and we had other people go in there who who had some abilities and they didn't know quite um we we had a guy that Tanya was mentoring that um was almost killed in a car crash and uh, he was run over and then the woman panicked and backed up and wound up running him over again ah. uh, <clears throat> yeah and he he died in the uh intensive care unit and and they had to bring him back again and when he woke up he had this ability and they put him on the psych ward for a little while. Um, and and the first time he went into the web, he he was working for the for for the same tour company. And he said, "Oh, I'd, I'm really interested interested in this. And can I come in?" And he was lit up like a pinball machine. Oh. Um, it it was just uh, his way of communicating. As he draws pictures and writes stuff down, uh, that's that's just his way. It's sort sort of an automatic writing, automatic drawing. Yeah. And, uh, and he was, you know, exhausted and it all came at him so incredibly fast. So so it really was, you know, two years of a great, awesome experience, a true laboratory, but some really, really interesting experience with the people who came along. One of the things I want to explore is Tanya's past, because when in the book, I was completely obsessed with the idea that you had the coolest grandma in the world who <laughs> used a Ouija board regularly kept journals of it and you inherited those journals i mean what was that like actually having a family that's open and cool about that kind of stuff 
Well, it was really mostly just my grandmother. My mom was open to it, but she didn't talk about it that much. My dad just kind of uh, humored her. So he, my dad's a total cynic. He doesn't believe in anything. But my mom, she, she was very sensitive as well. So she was having the same types of experiences that, that I was having. She just didn't know what context, even with my grandmother, she, my mom just didn't know how to frame it all. So she was interested in my grandmother. Um, but it was super cool having a grandmother who always showed up with Ouija board in tow. I didn't get to play with it until I was a little bit older, but I was always fascinated to watch them play with it. And yeah, I do. I have all of those notebooks. In fact, I was just going through them the other day and I found a really uh, fun one that uh, she had contacted her husband who passed when my dad was just five. And there's a really fun exchange between my grandmother and her deceased husband in some of the transcripts that I was going through the other day. Okay, so Tanya has all these cool experiences growing up with, with her grandma and her journals and all this great stuff. And then Joey's more like, I don't know, maybe you were the more of the skeptic or you didn't grow up like having strange things. Like, I don't think you had a Barbie doll and its head came off like Tanya had and that whole story. Uh, um, I, yeah, I thought that was kind of cute. Um, I, well, let me go back to Tanya. I'm reading the book, and as a little kid, she's playing with her Barbies, and then I don't know if you had left the room and come back in, and the Barbie's head is missing. Yeah. And you thought, you're, you know, you said something about to your mom, and, oh, maybe your brother's messing with you, and he had, he was, like, watching TV somewhere else, and then you came back later, and the head's back on the Barbie. Oh, yeah, God. so actually, first I left the room. I thought I heard my mother call me. I came back. The Barbie's head's gone, so I'm like, what the heck? I'm looking okay. all around. So then I thought I heard it again, left the room again, came back, the whole doll was gone. <laughs> oh. And yeah. then I was like, okay, this is really weird. So I told mom, and she's like, nah, it's your brother, he's messing with you. And he was, he was watching television. So when I went back, then the whole doll is back intact. So that was one of my earliest um, experiences, but stuff would happen like that quite frequently. It still happens to me today, actually. I was just telling a friend of mine, um, I have a couple of items that have just disappeared without a trace and there's no explanation for where those things have gone do they come back ever or they're just gone sometimes they come back and sometimes they're never to be seen again that would piss me off it's like my glasses <laughs> it's like our socks yeah. <laughs> it's like socks in the dryer <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah yeah you guys you guys would love like if you had like a little camera you could just float around my house uh, on a drone or something like that because every day you'd be like you know wait for it wait for Amber, where's my glasses at? Damn it. Where the hell did they go? And I, they seem to fall in a black hole somewhere. And then. Well, yeah, it takes us 15 minutes. And each minute you're getting more and more pissed off. Yeah. And then you find them in some stupid spot, like on top the of the refrigerator when you got a snack. Yeah. Oh, well, I see. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, well, okay. But so you're, Joey. Yeah, okay, so ahead. Joey. So I love Joey's high school experience because it's like the quintess quintessential Ouija board experience where yeah. a group of students are all gathered around doing their Ouija board thing and the candles in the room all go out. Right. I, I love that. That's perfect. It's like the beginning of a great horror movie. Well, can you, can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit, Joey? I mean, what, yeah, what was the scene I can. like? So, so it wasn't so much that I was, I was cynical and you know, I was, I was raised pretty strict Roman Catholic Okay. and there's a lot of room for these things. But but I was a fraidy cat. So so I was the kid in, in, in middle school that was in the other room when we had a sleepover and everyone was watching uh, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm -hmm. Like it was it was only until maybe I was in my thirties and I had 
I had been in some, you know, small budget horror films and, and, and kind of knew how it, not that I didn't know how it worked, but, you know, it was different kind of being on set and all. But so I was always a, kind of afraid of it. So just really, really quickly, um, I was part of the performing arts department and we spent a lot of time together and in that wing of the building. And, and, and one day, uh, my buddy and I went in and these two girls were using a Ouija board. Now my aunt had had a Ouija board up in her, her game room, the upstairs room in her house when we were kids, but we had no idea what it was. We called it the Elijah board or something like that. <laughs> when we kids. And we would just spell out dirty words and crack each other up. Like no, no idea. So the girls are using this thing and it's, it's kind of classic, Ouija, as I came to find out from reviewing Rosemary's books and being at some Ouija board sessions with Rosemary and Tanya later in life. But um, so they so there's a little pioneer girl who's talking to them. And then a couple of days later, it's that she's being chased by this guy who killed her and then knows actually the guy that killed her that's been communicating with them the whole time. Uh -oh. You know, it's kind of like this nested trickster haunting thing. Yeah. Then the girls stop coming to school and we find out that they're really freaked out and they're just using this Ouija board all the time. So we say, okay, well, we're going to go over there and we're going to fix it. My buddy and I, a couple of Italian American Roman Catholics who don't know what the hell they're doing are, are, are going to go and somehow fix this thing. So work kind of gets around and there's a bunch of kids in this basement and there's candles and all. And, and this, this entity has now ramped up. It's, it's sort of hooked them, gotten their trust, very classic. And uh, is really kind of just being inappropriate. So I say, hey, if you, you have any power, do something to me. Well, the candles go out and, and it, it was like the world and my heart stopped at the same time. Just for a split second. Yeah. But the only thing I can liken it to is I grew up at the Jersey Shore. I got caught in a nor'easter once in a 26-foot sailboat. And I didn't know if I was going to live or die. And so I have a great appreciation for the power of the ocean. Oh, yeah. And from that time that I was like 16, 17 years old, I had a great respect for the power of what's beyond the veil, what's what's in that next place that we can't see, but we know is out there. Because I have no doubt that if that thing wanted to harm us, it could have. It could. It's an interesting thought process, I think, a person goes through. And it goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, too, and leading, you know, going into a story like this, I, you know, like my personal path, and we've talked about this briefly before, I know when I started out uh, studying this stuff back in like 1847 or whatever year it was, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, like me and, you know, Doug, who used to be, you know, part, who's still part of the show, um, we both, I know we both started out the same way. We started out. Like we believe, and, and literally, I've said this before, we had a mission statement, and the mission statement simply was to prove the existence of the afterlife. That was our mission statement, right? Which is a very, very bold statement. And I know over time, as the years went on, and I became more experienced, and I seen more things, I became what what you know what was said was skeptical, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll even go as far as to say, after a number of years where I started to burn out a bit, I did become a, a tad bit cynical too about things. When I say cynical though, I mean more like, like when I'd see a dust door picture, I couldn't be polite anymore. <laughs> that's how I, that's how I, that's how I would consider my cynicism to be. I'd have to say, look, that's a dust orb. Uh, sorry. You know, that's, it's not, a, it's not a ghost. Right. However, where I've 
kind of come back to now after having, you know, even more experiences over the years is, yeah, I've kind of, I've kind of, I guess, you know, picture a needle going back and forth, you know, um, I kind of came back to the skeptical, you know, where I'm more of skeptical, but I like to think that I'm more of an open-minded skeptic, right? I, I want to hear these things and I always am going to weigh in as much knowledge I have about how, how the earth works and how science works as I, as I can, right? Um, right. However, what jogged this, this thought from me was what you just said. What, whatever skepticism I may have towards things these days, I still acknowledge the power of what is out there because I don't understand it. And that, you know, while it makes me nervous, it also intrigues me it, and it fascinates me. Uh, and I respect that for where it is. So it's, I share your opinion of that, about this idea of what the, you know, what the afterlife may be. And I do believe that, yeah, bad things could happen to us, I think, in some situations. I think we have to be careful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you really have to be. I think some people do take these things for granted. You know, and, I, and that's your, you know, the real cynical types where I even, like I said before, even more malicious types. Uh, they, this isn't a joke. Um, yeah, not everything's, not everything's a ghost. I, I agree 100%. There's a lot of stuff that I'm like, that's, that's just, you know, that's the earth doing what the earth does. But there are things that I can't explain that I've seen or maybe experienced. So I think that idea, I agree 100%. I couldn't agree even any more, Joey, that I do just like that, and I just like the power of the sea. Um, I have to respect it for what it is, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. That, and it just makes us yeah. better yeah. at what we do because um, it was a huge responsibility. You know, of the of the five hundred over five hundred people that we took through there, yeah. some of them then fancied themselves to be ghost hunters and went out and got all the equipment and. It's um, it's energy, and and it can affect you, and certain things can get into your dreams, right, Tony? You can talk more about the, you know, because you train people to be more protected and smart about this kind of thing. Right. So, you know, some people did feel that they had someone or something follow them home after having been in the web. I certainly did on a couple of occasions. Um, the first night that we were there. I mean, the very first time that we ever went to the web to, Joey calls it our audition, but we were basically just getting a sense of the place, and we were there with the tour um, company owner. And that night I encountered um, a spirit who uh, called himself Vincent, and he not only followed us home that night, he showed up in a dream, and I had a horrible nightmare where he presented himself and he was trying to throw me out the second uh, floor window of the web. Okay. And I really felt psychically attacked by that spirit. And there were some other folks who kind of felt that they had similar experiences after having been in there. So it's like you said, people kind of go in with an attitude, but it's really, it really needs to be taken seriously. And people need to not only um, show proper respect, but protect themselves. Well, you know, and I understand how a person may, how how certain people respond to things i i can understand the side of things like look if i can't see it if i can't touch it if i can't feel it or taste it or whatever it may be smell it whatever it may be if it don't 
if it isn't part, if, I, if any of my senses can't detect this, then it's not something that I believe in. I mean, that's right. obviously the arguments for religion. It's been going on for God thousands of years now. Right. Uh, and I understand that side. I, I, I acknowledge that side. And I think there's there's an argument for that, too. That does not, in my opinion, have, you know, grant anybody license to come somewhere and, yeah, just shit all over someone else's work they're trying to do. Bottom, I mean, not to be too hoity-toity about it, but, yeah, that, you know, if you're going to be a skeptic, you know, hell, I don't think you could really be an open-minded cynic. I've never really heard those no. words smashed together before either. I think you could be an open-minded skeptic, but uh, not a cynic. Uh, so, really, I mean, I think people, yeah, they really should acknowledge this for where it is it's it's something unknown and we, and i say this all the time too well we may never most likely in our lifetimes really ever know any more than what we may know right now about this stuff which is right. very little i think too <laughs> so, in, in, in a lot of ways yeah we don't know why some people are sensitive to it and some aren't and what, what you know what's the ghost bigfoot ufo mib on and on poltergeist activity. I'm, I'm reading uh, one of D. Scott uh, Rogo's books right now, Our Haunted Universe. And um, he, he's really all about the connection between UFOs and psychic phenomena and poltergeist activity. And that's what Steve and I are trying to tackle. Um, I say try in like bold and all caps because, <laughs> you know, the, the, the one criticism that we get for the book, and it's not a lot, um, but the one criticism we do get for the book is people wish that our concluding theories were stronger. But we really feel like that would be a disservice. I mean, this is a this is a journey, and we have it far from figured out. I mean, we present people with a lot, a lot of data. The book is full of all kinds of data and triangulation of data whenever we could get it between equipment, mediums, and good old-fashioned, hard-boiled, historical, boring research. Yeah. Um, but you're absolutely right. I don't, and, and maybe it would spoil it if we knew, like, what would it look like if we just, if we, boring. if we knew, like, what would, what would that look like? I Paranormal don't, I don't... done figured well, out. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to be on a, be on a journey, let's say where most journeys, they do have a destination. Most mm -hmm. journeys people go on, like I want, you know, let's, I, I mean, I consider this a hobby. What I do with the, what this podcast is and the, and the, and the field research we can get out and do, I consider it a hobby. And I know a lot of people when they get a hobby, like, well, I am going to collect stamps. This is my hobby, right? Okay. Well, there's some payoff there. I think you get stamps and you put them in a book and they look cool and you show them to your friends and you know, you join the stamp collectors guild. I'm sure there's a stamp collectors guild out there somewhere <laughs> and you become part of the stamp collectors community. You become president of the stamp collectors guild someday. And you know, you run the world. There's, I mean, to a certain degree, I think there's some payoff with that. And you know what I've always, and I think that's where a lot of people I found studying the paranormal, uh, a lot of people I've seen, you know, we, I know you guys too have also, especially doing tours like this, I've, I've seen a lot of people come and go rather yeah. quickly, mind you, too. And I think it goes back to what we were saying before. I think a lot of people ha get into this study where they want to be ghost hunters. Mm -hmm. And one thing I learned a long time ago is I, and I know that that's a pretty easy term to apply to what this stuff is done, and it's, that's fine. But I refer to it more 
as a ghost observer. Uh, you know, a, a ghost watcher, maybe. I don't know. Because we're not trying to really catch anything, I don't think, or kill anything, God forbid. Uh, right. So, you know, but going back to this other point, though, yeah, and this is a different kind of hobby because, I, I, as I already said, I think in our lifetimes, we may not know any more than what we know right now. So why are we doing this? That That's an, you know, that's, it, it makes me think about that. You know, why are, you know, 20 years later, here I am. I know, Amber, you've been two decades into this yourself, too. Um, I'm wondering, what do you guys think about that? Why are we still Why are we still here? Why are we still doing this? Well, I'll, I'll start off, and then I'm going to pass it pretty quickly to Tanya. Um, because Tanya is a, is a psychic medium, and our 19-year-old daughter is a psychic medium, yeah. and I am beginning to develop some clear audience. I, I got some names during an investigation um, the other night that were, were exact, so that, that's developing, and, and I'm learning a lot from Tanya and being open yeah. to it. But because because they do this and and now our daughter's getting into helping people a little but tanya does it as as part of her job um she's lucky i uh, i would use that word um to to help people and to to cross troubled spirits over or lost spirits i want to understand it and that's what keeps me coming back and and also you feel a little protective right it's my daughter and my wife and, well, yeah. and when people just dismiss it out of hand that kind of bugs me because yeah. I've witnessed some amazing things through the two of them mm -hmm. that have been backed up by hard data. And so uh, that's what keeps me at it. But what, what keeps you coming back? Don? For me, uh, I've been uh, fortunate enough to have the opportunity on so many occasions to help other people and, and also help spirit people, as Joey mentioned, cross over. But particularly, you know, when people come and, they're not quite sure what to make. Maybe they have had experiences. Maybe they're currently having experiences. And a lot of times people think, you know, am I crazy? Like, is this really happening? So to help people sort of come to terms with what they may or may not be experiencing, usually, um, you know, they're, they're so conflicted about the experiences they're having and and bringing themselves to come to terms with oh my gosh like this is so this flies in the face of everything i've ever been taught or what i believe but yet here it is happening so to help those people um to help people who come to me and they want to connect with their loved ones um that's a big that's a big um opportunity that i feel i'm, I'm very fortunate to have mm -hmm. and to help people cross over I think and, and parents of psychic kids too Joey mm -hmm. just uh, reminded me oftentimes I'll have parents who want to talk to me and say my daughter's having all these experiences you know she sees these things we don't know what to make of it we don't know how to help her and to be able to work with the parents and work with the kids to help them realize that you know don't question your experience don't question your personal experience this is really what's happening this is really what you're seeing and what you're hearing and here's how you can learn to navigate that it's so funny to hear that because we talk about this so much here on the show i i always go back to when i was a child uh when i when i thought the boogeyman or whatever maybe under my bed not keep it brief because people have heard this a thousand times before but my parents said, look, there's no ghosts, there's no goblins, there's nothing. You're in your bed, you're safe, you're okay. But no, don't, yeah. there's no ghost. And that's just, I can't stress that enough 
my parents were being good parents. They're fantastic parents. I'm, they're great parents to this day. Yeah. Uh, they were just doing what they could to make me feel safe and make me feel comfortable because I was scared. But I think that builds up filters. And what you're saying now, what you're saying is, you know, let the kids experience this. Don't, don't cut them off so quick. Let them, you know, know that they're not crazy and that, you know, let them, again, let them try to experience this thing. I'm, I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the right track, aren't I? Absolutely. No, you're absolutely on the right track. Just and, and to assure them that nine times out of 10, the other thing that horror movies do a great disservice is making everything like, oh, if it's a spirit, it's scary and it's harmful. You know what it's I mean? Demonic. It's demonic oh, or it's evil. Most of the spirit people I encounter are just people without bodies. I mean, they're just like the average people you meet on the street. So just because you're seven years old and you're seeing a, you know, a man in your living room doesn't mean that that man is there to hurt you. He's probably there because you can see him. Yeah. And, and that's it. So helping kids understand that, yeah, this is actually what you're seeing and, you know, how to how to navigate that so they don't have to be so afraid of it well, and shut it down so that by yeah. the time they're adults, they're just doubting their their inner experience day by day. Yeah. I want to point out one ghost, though. I Patrick Swayze, though, is pretty rad, though. And oh ghost, my God. Come on. Give, give it up. Patrick <laughs> That's not Swayze. a horror movie, though. OK. Yeah, you're right. You said horror. You said horror, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. Damn it. That's a romance movie. But he was. Yeah, but you know, yeah. when that, it's up. funny that you brought that up, Scott, because when <laughs> we were talking about the enormous amount of energy that it requires to move things, yeah, I yeah. was thinking about that movie. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> interesting. <Ooh. Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the lesson in how to, you know, I think it's like move a, move, I forget what it is. Yeah. I haven't he, seen I, that I, movie for years. Yeah, either have I. Like, he's got a mentor. It's like, you know, yeah, you got to learn how to move stuff and. And that, yeah. that's all I remember. Or he's got to possess uh, Whoopi Goldberg. But, but you're right. Oh, God, that was so weird. Anyway, okay, moving, along, moving on. I don't want to think. That, that's still disturbing this <laughs> day. Um, but, no, you're right. You are right. I mean, that uh, horror itself. And, you know, I, I love horror movies uh, also. Uh, but I think, you know, we've, we've hit this point a bunch of times, you know, since we've been, we started talking. And it's just that, yeah, there's a lot of this. And uh, if there's anything we've ever preached over the years is just that is, you know, take everything you've learned from TV and movie and all that stuff and just throw it out the door. You got to come into this with a, with a clean slate and experience experience this for what it is and not for what your mind has built it up to be. Uh, I've seen people freak out, yeah. you know, because they've had they've had their minds spun up by people too to say, saying, Oh my God, where we're going, this place is so, Oh my God, this place is so haunted. You're not going to believe this place. It's so crazy haunted. Right. And they get there and their mind is so spun up and tight that the first little click they hear somewhere sends them screaming out of the house at full speed. And did you guys have something like that on the tour where people were so wound up that the moment they stepped in, they were freaking out. They, it, it took them a little while to get going. Typically, the the first floor of the library with the children's room and and the 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 one former doctor's office, Doctor Thompson, who had a huge crush on Tanya, and would <laughs> dispense all kinds of uh, medical and life wisdom advice and all. The the downstairs was was very very pleasant, but it was when you would go upstairs and okay, it's it's often summertime because um, <clears throat> that was a very popular time for the tour. So the humidity's there. You're right on the coast. Of course, upstairs, it's going to be stuffier. But it was 
and people would feel it like a wall as they were going upstairs, as they were going into something completely different. And that's where people would really kind of start to freak, freak out, burst into tears or get. And we we had a couple of good examples of groupthink where you have 15 people and one person says they got touched and suddenly eight or nine people are being touched all at once. And then they're they're you know, having 15 people who are really freaked out is um, is a is a rough deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's not fun. Everyone's you, screaming. Hurting cats, basically. <laughs> yeah. Hurting cats. Yes, it, yes. Yeah, I used to use that term a lot, actually. It was. So we so we took it down from 20 to 15, and we really kind of liked the off-season where we would get seven or eight people, and that was usually a very productive evening. Um, often had psychics or sensitive come along. Teenage girls, a high percentage of teenage girls who didn't know that they were sensitives and dad who was kind of paying for the evening didn't know either. And suddenly they're like, Oh yeah, there's a guy with a red beard in the corner there. And they were very matter of fact about it. Um, super interesting. And it was teenage girls. Yeah. 15, 16 years old, especially. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things you guys saw that, uh, there was a little sketch of in the book was this interdimensional being. And when you had mentioned that everything was going on from men in black to UFOs and everything, um, why not throw in an interdimensional being? And the fact that you point out that this being reminded you guys of a Marie Sendak character, which if you don't know who that is, it's Where the Wild Things Are, if you remember that book when we were all little. And oh, it, God, it, is this the nerd part of the show? No, it's not the nerd part. It, it makes me think of, like, Bigfoot. <laughs> And how right. the concept that we've we've talked about before that Bigfoot is this interdimensional being, yeah. and then yeah. Tanya sees this thing, sketches it out, and it is your classic hairy monster, monster under the bed, or even like a Bigfoot. I mean, did you only see that the one time? Only the one time. What was weird about that is I'm seeing this, and I didn't say anything because that was one I, you know, I'm pretty much gotten to the point where I trust what I see, but I'm looking at this thing going, no, no. No. <laughs> this woman standing next to me was also clairvoyant. She turns to me, she goes, do you see that thing? And I was like, what thing? Because I just wanted to make sure. And she's like, you know, it's hairy. It's got like, she described exactly what I was seeing. And I was like, yeah, I'm looking at it too. I have, I got nothing. I don't know what that is. And that's amazing that two people saw that. Yeah. We didn't see it again. Joey did hear it. And really, weirdly enough, the, the following day, the library had a flea infestation. Oh, weird. And they Ugh. had a bomb for fleas. That's bizarre, right? That, I mean, that's, a that's, weird. Where, that's yeah. where open-minded skepticism and conditional anomalous phenomenon, as we've come to call it, yeah. comes into play. Oh, it yeah, totally. It could coincidence, but it's a heck of a coincidence. Yeah, that is strange. It, yeah. So... Yeah. And, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and that was in close proximity to UFO sightings that had nothing to do with us, but that were reported on MUFON and I believe uh, New Fork, MUFON and New Fork. Um, so you can look, you can look those up. And they were in uh, the area. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the MUFON one for anybody who wants to look these up independently. The MUFON one was October first, twenty sixteen. And the New Fork one was July 13th, 2017. And this was until uh, we got the book deal and we were doing follow-up research that we even realized that there were UFOs in the area in the in close proximity with the spectral MIB, which kind of have yeah. a history. A lot of your listeners probably have heard of Nick Redfern. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And his uh, Men in Black work. So he reports some stories of things happening in libraries, but... 
just wild that all of these things were confluencing around this library. And that, yeah, that is a weird little connection there with all three of those things, the UFO, the men in black, and an interdimensional being, like all within kind of the same time frame, which is yeah. super cool. Uh, so one of the favorite, okay, I had to pull a quote. I had to pull a quote from the book. And one of my absolute favorite quotes from the book is, it took us years to realize the whole planet is haunted. What we refer to as paranormal is a normal condition of the planet. I love that. Because I think it reminds at least me, that this stuff is normal. It is part of our planet. We're tr- we're, we do this kind of stuff. We do paranormal investigation and research to try and understand it. Uh, but it's it just is. Ghosts, ghosts are here, whether we like it or not. Uh, yeah. We don't know what they are, but they're here. We've talked about them since, you know, the dawn of time. Um, all this stuff has been here. So I just, I really, really love that quote. I thought it was actually really beautiful. Thank you. That was Tanya, 100%. Aw, Tanya. <laughs> I don't know if I would have said it that way, so that had to be her. <laughs> no, I, 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 yeah. I agree with the sentiment, though, completely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, you know, and the other thing that you guys, we didn't talk about yet, is that you guys have lived in a ton of haunted houses. Like, mm-hmm. like everywhere you went, there was something going on, especially this place in Virginia, West Virginia, that you called the Holler. I don't know yep. if they, okay, do, do they call it holler or like holla? Like, I, well, not like holla, but <laughs> like I'm it's, trying um, to think of a West Virginian accent. It's a, it's a hollow. Okay. Um, as in like a depression or a bowl. Okay. So, so it's, it's typically a valley. Um, t- it's sometimes it has a water source and they're usually houses ringed around it, fairly isolated. So okay. I got it. Instead of a hollow, they call it a holler. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, but you had there, you had like a whole slew of things happen down from like, like you, was it UFO or strange lights and even like fairy creatures you were seeing? Yeah. The fairy, fairy Fairy. circles, uh, the fairies left 12 stones in a, 12 white stones in a really weird pattern on a rock that sort of, I had had mentioned this to Tanya. So we do talk about that in the book and it was a flat rock and I would sit out there and read and we would do meditations on this rock and I was right near a fairy circle where we always left food and things like that. We also wound up having a sweat lodge, a Lakota sweat lodge on the property. And I don't think that that was a coincidence. I think those energies were sort of drawn to, to make that happen. But but I, I realized, right, so I, I, I grew up Roman Catholic. They were building a house up um, up the hill from us, literally. And and these two Muslim women came, and, and they went right to that rock to kind of do a prayer service or something. We just saw them one day. So, so they came a half a mile down that hill and chose that exact rock in which hmm. to do a prayer service to kind of bless— the property and that just sort of dawned on me what it was about a, a month ago mm-hmm. um so there were definitely yeah we had these we had these sycamore trees that grew up on the property and and we had a friend who was a a, a, a shawnee chief and he came to the house and he said you know why these sycamores are here right because they really shouldn't grow there's no water source um but but they would set up um the shawnee and other tribes would set up their sacred grounds near these sycamores because there was running water and they were good energy centers. So, so yeah, a lot of anomalous stuff happened that seven years there. Yeah, I think, well, West Virginia in general is mm-hmm. just very, very active. I think it has to do with something geological um, about the makeup of the soil, 
um, the sediment, the types of rocks that are there. I don't know anything about geology, so I have no way to, to test that theory, but <laughs> it's just a theory that yeah. I have. Yeah. Uh, I know that American Indians would not settle in West Virginia. They would hunt there, but they wouldn't settle there and they, they because they said it was haunted. And all of those uh, hills and hollers of West Virginia are quite active. The South, to me, in general, I mean, the majority of my, well, on my father's side, they're from Tennessee. And maybe it's just because, you know, it's just that family thing. I, I took a trip down the Tennessee uh, August, September of last year. It was kind of a solitary road trip. And it was strange. And we talked about it, I think, briefly here before on the show. But there's a certain wave of peace that comes over me. I, well, at that time, I felt it came over me. And I don't know, maybe it was just because I was on vacation. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to be doing is getting some relaxing in. But there was times where, you know, I just would kind of stand and just kind of look around like, you know, like you've seen in any of them, any, any, uh, any romantic comedy, some guy just walking around in a circle, smiling, looking up in the sky. I felt myself, you know, doing that, um, you know, down there. And, and it, the, the South, to me, there's a certain majesty about it. I mean, the beauty of, of it, first off, uh, mm -hmm. it kind of it gets you in the gut a little bit. And, I mean, of course, Tennessee, you know, has no shortage of its ghost stories also. Uh, Bell Witch is, you know, an obvious one to, to talk about. But uh, the South, it seems like, yeah, there's something there. I don't know. You know, maybe it is the what I'm talking about, the, 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 the drooling hippie idea that I have, or there really is something, you know, down, you know, in the southern part of our of our country that does have something to it. Who knows? I think, you know, like Amber said, and I think that's a beautiful quote from your guys's book is, that, you know, you, it took you guys it took us years to realize the whole planet is haunted. Uh, just that sentence alone. I, you know, I think we spend a lot of time dealing with microcosms you know like well my house is haunted well no my house is haunted well you know my building is haunted and i think a lot of us yeah of course that's you know like you guys spent two years uh, studying at a library or doing research at a library um i think a lot of people focus in on that which you should but yeah there is a macro here too and i think i, I i'm with you guys on that this is a this is a, a force of nature that we just don't understand Right. Simple as that, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. God, I really want to thank you guys for taking the time to come here and talk to us. Um, Absolutely. It's been thank a real you. pleasure. Uh, and this is a yeah, we well, we really ran the gauntlet here. We <laughs> Yeah. Well, and we have to have him back for. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, yeah. When Steve. So and, Steve. So Steve. Yeah. Won. Steve Ward, Warden. Where am I going? Steve, Steve Warden? Ward. I don't. I'm calling him a warden now. Where are you calling him? I, I have no idea. <laughs> the but we got to have them come back when their book comes look out. Busy. Warden's cool. We're looking for, <laughs> we'll look forward to that. Thank you. This was you. You asked great questions. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, we we really appreciate it, guys. And thanks again. Yeah, and let's let's totally do it again. Ghostly talk. <laughs> <laughs>